Hello, health investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Molly Carmel. Molly received her bachelor's degree in social work from Cornell University and her master's degree from Columbia University's School of Social Work. After battling an eating disorder for over 20 years and finding no solution in available treatment, she's made it her life's mission to help people find a sustainable solution to the battle of obesity and related eating disorders. Molly is best known for her irreverent, straight-talk, no-chaser attitude. It's been said that she punches as hard as she hugs. She runs her NYC clinic, The Beacon, with wisdom and passion, rigorously training staff, developing programming, and helping clients break through barriers hindering success and into a life of recovery. Aside from being brilliant, Molly is a real hoot. After talking to her, I legit considered moving back to New York to be her friend. Whether you're addicted to sugar or not, you are going to love this episode and everything Molly has to say. While you're listening, I'd appreciate it if you'd take a selfie, post it to social media, and tag me at The Health Investment. It's so fun to see my listeners in action, and it's also a great way to spread the word about this podcast. All right. I know you're dying to hear from Molly, my new BFF, so here she is. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing, there are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness because I wanna help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Molly. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. It's just truly an honor to have you here with me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on on your podcast. Definitely. So would you mind sharing with listeners your story, your background, and especially kind of how you got to the space you're at today at the Beacon Center? You know, just all of it, whatever you want to share. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm one of those people whose professional path and personal path are just completely enmeshed, you know, and so when I, I was sort of like born genetically obese, I I come with a family tree that's kind of full of obesity and addiction and, you know, mental health issues while we're up. And, um, and then I had some pretty serious trauma when I was right before I was three and my dad passed away and, When I found out that that happened, I was four years old. um, You know, the story goes that it's really where I turned to food, and you know, to numb me, to soothe me, and and I would say sugar, and you know, and then in my four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, it was like everything was really about the food for me. Like we're going to the amusement park, great, can't wait to get a churro, right? We're going to Jenny's house, oh good, they have M and M's there, and I can eat it, and 
you know, when I was seven, uh, my mom was really concerned about my weight, I think, you know, appropriately. So, you know, a lot of people ask me questions about this part of the story, which is where my mom took me to nutritionist at seven. And people say, gosh, you know, what do you think about that? And, you know, my answer is really like, like she was really outmatched. And I think that's the case with a lot of parents. And I have like a lot of thoughts about that kind of on an aside, but I think my mom was really doing the best she could. And she had this seven-year-old who clearly had an unhealthy relationship with food, you know? Yeah. The problem with that particular intervention was that it really started this relationship with compulsive dieting that um, combined with this unhealthy relationship with, with sugar um, really morphed into something. And it was really off to the races there, right? Like I was just on diets after that. And so I would like go on a, you know how it is, right? I'd go on a diet and the diet would fail me. And then I would go binge on sugar and then maybe, and I gain a lot of weight and I feel really hopeless and really demoralized. And then I'd maybe try again. And this, this went on, you know, for the better part of 25 years. I mean, this isn't a, it's not a small story. And you know, addiction is is a progressive illness. And I, I think, you know, I wouldn't say compulsive dieting is an addiction, but I would say it looks like an addiction in the progression of the illness, right? Like it gets worse and worse. And what we're willing to do in the name of dieting is worse, right? Like, and I'm the kind of girl, like conventional and unconventional, I tried it, right? I mean, I, I got bariatric surgery, like in the beginning, early stages of it. And I ate my way through that. I mean, there really is nothing I didn't try, interestingly, except for not eating sugar because, you know, sugar was my solution. There was a blind spot around being able to even consider that it was my problem. I was not willing to take a look at that. I was not willing in any way to take a look at that. And so it was pretty tumultuous, right? It was pretty tumultuous. It was pretty terrible. Um, Like, in another part of the story, you know, I, I went to a weight loss camp when I was 13 years old. It was an, I, I decided that and it was great. It was so fun, you know, and I had a boyfriend. It was great. But in it, it, as a clinician, like as a therapist, it was not so good. Right. Cause they like, yeah, they ran us and they fed us. And of course we lost a lot of weight and we had fun. But I, I remember so succinctly in ninth grade, having come home from weight loss camp in my like size 10 gap jeans, you know, knowing that so soon they were not going to fit because I had no actionable skills. And that, that's what happened. It was home ec and the button popped off of those jeans. And again, it was like off to the races. And so the second year when I went, went back to weight loss camp, there was just this knowing inside of me, something inside of me literally spoke, right? And was like, you need to help people like you need to solve this problem. And so what's so interesting, right, is that this personal path that I was on and failing and suicidal and hopeless all led me to where I am today to create a treatment model that would work for people. It's just like I had to go through, you know, effectively like the gates of hell (laughs) to be able to get to the top of the the top of the mountain um, and help people. And uh, I don't regret a minute of it. And I mean, suicidal bottoms, 325 pounds, you know, I don't regret any part of my past because it has given me such a opportunity to 
help people solve this pretty unsolvable problem. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing now with breaking up with sugar. It's so incredible. Um, People are really finding their solutions. And so interestingly enough, um, I'll fast forward to the story, but like, interestingly enough, I had had this bariatric surgery. I was like gaining weight hand over fist. I had become in my studies, like an, an eating disorders and addictions therapist because it's just where my path took me. And I had been trained as an eating disorders therapist working with obese people to do like this very low fat model, very behavioral. Low, you guys, you remember it, like low fat, calorie counting, like fat free, like all of that. And I was doing that. Um, and I was going home at night after being at my eating disorder center that I was running and I was binging my brains out. And so I was like this eating disorders therapist, gaining weight hand over fist, like that's not even the worst part of it. Like the worst part of that story is living a double life. Right. I mean, there's just nothing yeah. worse. Like I'm such a believer in personal integrity. Like it's, it's everything. Right. And the thing we lose first in diet drama and trauma is personal integrity. Like anybody who's been on one diet and failed at it knows that I've been on like 500 diets. So I'm in a constant, you know, amend with myself about those years. Um, and so I I was like kind of out of ideas and it was really getting bad. My weight was getting bad. My behaviors were getting bad. It was like throwing, I got caught throwing up the bathroom at work. Like it was really bad. And it's, I hate this part of the story because it's like just not sexy enough for me. You know what I mean? Like how I broke up with sugar is like, so like, I just wish it was like, wait till you hear it. You know what I mean? It's just like, I wish it was different, but it's not. And here's my truth. Um, So basically my brother, decided he was going to go on like some kind of cleanse and give up sugar. And he did. And I was like, and he had lost weight so quickly. And remember I'm gaining all this weight. So like, I don't even think of it as an addiction. I'm just like, okay, if that worked for Mikey, I'm going to try it because I need to like stop this weight gain. That's all I thought about. You know, today it's like physical, emotional, spiritual, long-term relationship. In that moment, it was like, I got to fix this. Yeah. So I gave up sugar got to remember I'm an addictions therapist. Here's what happened. I went through detox and I was like, Oh, now Brooke. Yeah. I mean, I knew about diabetes. (laughs) I knew about the endocrine system. Mm -hmm. I was, these blind spots that come with unhealthy relationships are incredible to me. I mean, that's the part of the story where I was like, I can't believe I didn't decide to do that sooner, but I was protecting sugar. Like my life depended upon it. Not until I was at the very bottom of desperation did it even become consideration on my list. So anyway, that happened. Not only the detox was hard, but honestly, I got well so quickly. It was fascinating. It's like I went from seeing black and white to seeing color. I released that weight so quickly. I, I tell you, 11 years later, I've almost I've had very minimal lapsing, certainly with my weight. Cravings decreased. Hopefulness moodiness gone insane opened a business like the next minute and there I am and here we are (laughs) (laughs) here we are well really wow so many parts there that I would love to touch on but so in all the diets that you were doing do you think that none of them ever mentioned sugar I mean do you think that's a big inherent problem with diets is they're not teaching you the whys behind what you're doing well so I mean we're talking we're talking like 15, 10 or 15 years ago. So Uh I don't think the focus really there was like kind of low fat still. They were moving towards this new movement. 
So I think that's a function of that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I mean, P.S., and I think the diabetic exchange has been around since before dirt was invented, right? I don't think anybody's mm-hmm. ever been saying, oh, the sugar is such a great idea, you know? Right, right. But truth be told, uh, my big issue with the information out there is it's not clear and it's kind of delusional. Like the amount of sugar, people touting sugar free. And then I go like read a recipe from like someone who's touting themselves as a professional in this industry. And then I see like maple syrup and I'm like, Mm -hmm. hold on. Um, I would snort that oatmeal cookie with the maple syrup in it and lick the bottom of it. Cause I'm a real, I'm a real deal sugar addict. Like, as, yeah. we, as we can tell from my story, you know? <laughs> right, right. So I think that, so, yeah. uh, I think the information is just like, I, I tell you, like, so when I went and sell, sold this book, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions about, do you really have to do it this way? Does it really have to look this way? Does it really have to be? And I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a piece also where like, like Brooke, like everybody has an opinion on sugar and most people's opinion is I can't give it up. Right. So I think, Mm -hmm. I think it's really in our culture that breaking up a sugar is too hard to do. Yeah. And that's a good point that you make about the low fat trend, because obviously anything that's low fat, they're adding a bunch of other stuff to it. Namely sugar. Cookie of it all. I want one right now. (laughs) <laughs> by that I mean the whole box by the way side note anyway listen yeah that's who I, who but, I really am well and I mean a lot has now kind of the pendulum has swung to this community that's all high fat no vegetables I, I you know, know. keto know. eat sticks of butter so there's got to be some middle ground but then I also follow doctors who still are of the belief I don't believe this but I just follow them just to see what they're saying and it's just a calorie is a calorie. It doesn't matter if you're eating sugar. Yeah. So, you know, so there's no research on that one. Right. So it's confusing, I think, for people, and which is why I got into this world as well, just to help people make sense of it all. But it really yeah. requires you to have kind of blinders on and dive into the research and realize it's not just a calorie is a calorie. Sugar is a powerful substance. That, like you said, so many of us think we can't give up or maybe even deny addictions, as you were saying you did for a while. Would you say that all the mental work you had to do around the addiction, did that come after when you started seeing the results from giving up sugar? Were you able to kind of do the mental work? I think that's right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it, I think some of it I did before and it was like planting little seedlings. And then I was able to let the flowers come up and tend to them. I think some of some of it, you know, if you want to know why you're eating too much sugar, stop eating too much sugar and you'll figure it out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just want to say, I don't know that everybody has a full-fledged addiction. I think there are some people who are trending towards it. I just, I'm always so careful with that word, you know, because it's like, yep. to me, it's much more important that we think, I mean, I'm using it. I started it, but just also for those who are saying, well, God, that word is so scary. It's like, well, then let's not use it because there's only two relationships you really need to have in this world. And one is with food and one is with yourself and they are very intertwined. Um, and so I always like to think about like, well, what's my relationship look like with sugar? How does it impact my relationship with myself and the world and others? when we talk about it on those terms, we get a lot more people who are like, Oh me. Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So I do have an, 
chapter four of my book, you know, we take the Yale food addiction scale and, and have you take a relationship status quiz. I just think it's always like an important point to make, you know? Yeah. So it's not that this is something you recommend for everybody. It's more based on your results from that quiz. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I don't think sugar, I mean, the thing about sugar, which we both know, is like, literally, there's nobody saying it's good for you. Mm-hmm. There, there are some people saying, well, have things in moderation. It's okay to have a treat every now and then. But I love how Mark Hyman talks about it, like a controlled substance. Mm-hmm. If we thought about using sugar the way we use alcohol or marijuana or something like that, you know, and there's some people that can't do that responsibly. Mm-hmm. Or there's yeah, some people and- who choose not to do that, right? So uh-huh. I like to think about it in those terms. Yeah, I've also seen Max Lugavere. I don't know if you follow him, but he's posted things about it's the sugar, but then it's also these hyper palatable sugary foods with oh, all yeah. of the the perfect combination of fat and yeah. salt. Yeah. Everything added to it. So Well, that's the, you know, that's the processed food of it. That being I, which like if you don't agree with that, I don't even know what to say. And there's plenty of people who don't, by the way, right? But yeah. um but I think the other the other point is uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly and yet I'm the kind of, I have a relationship with sugar where like, I, I, I can't stop eating raisins and a lot Mm -hmm. and, or an app and like, and if I put applesauce into my body, that GI, that GI really triggers a response in my nervous system and in my endocrine system. So I'm a high, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a 10 out of 10 on that scale. And then there's some people who aren't. That's what's Mm -hmm. so interesting about it. So don't, you know, it's like, but there's nobody, I don't think there's anybody saying like this cupcake is really nutritious. So what do you say to the community though that is very big into make peace with food, everything in moderation, even keep all the junk food in the house because the, if you keep it out of the house, you'll crave it more. Yeah. Well, Brooke, you know I have something to say about that. Um, <laughs> first of all, I want to say this. So far, I'm an eating disorders therapist, right? And so I sort of always have this scarlet A on my chest because the eating disorders community is just really box at the idea of of this um, of this idea of, of not eating foods, uh, mm-hmm. like I'm talking about. But the first thing I always say about this is, if somebody tells you that there's one way, run away, right? So mm-hmm. I, as I'm saying to you, I don't think breaking up with sugar is the right solution for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, I don't think intuitive eating is the right solution. The thing about intuitive eating is that it also makes an argument that we live intuitively, which would say mm-hmm. that I didn't use an alarm to wake up this morning, you know, and then I was like out in the fields, you know, mm-hmm. getting my work done. And then I was coming in. Whenever and, it yeah. it. <laughs> right. I mean, so I don't know how, intu- I mean, certainly me, I have a really, I have a lot going on. I'm very scheduled, like nothing about what I do is intuitive. I've scheduled my meditation, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I also think that, um, that intuitive eating doesn't take into account this by, bi- I mean, there's such a biodiversity and there's such a biochemical, we took emotions and spirituality out of it. The biochemical piece of this is so profound and I just sit with people all day and who have really tried intuitive eating and have made it moral, like there's something wrong with me, mm-hmm. and then have had the same experience that I've had, which is they break up a sugar, and then they're like, oh, just kidding. I just can't eat mm-hmm. sugar, and now I'm fine, and I actually am pretty intuitive in what I eat. I just don't eat sugar. Mm-hmm. 
I think so people can feel, yeah, the same type of failure that they do with diets with intuitive eating if it's not for them. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think that's exactly. And like, and then I think some, I think after some time off of sugar, like I've seen it for myself and the thousands and thousands of people that I treat, I do think you, you sort of restructure that, do, that dopamine gets back to its levels. More importantly, the, the regulation of the insulin receptors, like I eat pretty intuitively. I just don't eat sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not like weighing and measuring everything like when I first started and planning everything out. You know, it's like it's just who I am now. Mm-hmm. Great. I'd never yeah, go back. Never... You couldn't pay me to go back to sugar and flour. Yeah. Well, so that's yeah. I definitely want to dive into that and your process of giving that up and what you recommend to people. But another movement that's sort of inextricably tied with the intuitive eating one is the healthy at every size movement. And since Hard you questions today, Brooke, really <laughs> contro- controversial podcast. Babe. I know. So yeah. into it. No one asked me. I was like, this is all I ever really want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, that must be the New Yorker in me and the New Yorker mm-hmm. in you. It's mm-hmm. like, let's just get right to it. Let's get right to it. Over. Let's right. over the fluff. Let's make enemies today. You know, Everybody, <laughs> there's no in between. There's no in between. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, what do you think about that? Because you have been a bigger weight and struggled. I have. Yeah. So what do you uh, say that? I say a lot of things. So I think the interesting mm-hmm. thing about the health at any, I, I think what you're saying, which is what I say all the time, which is the answer is never the opposite. It's always mm-hmm. the balance. And I think the, the thing that's the most interesting piece to me about the health at any size movement is this focus on like the, that you get kind of ostracized if you want to release weight. Mm-hmm. I always use that term. I hate the term lose weight. I don't think it's accurate because I think there's a part where I would say like weight release is an outcome, not a measure. And, you know, I spent most of my life being obese and morbidly obese. And what I had to do f- to myself and the way I had to treat myself to maintain those weights was not loving. And so I think that you are lovable at any size without question beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I believe this in the bottom of my soul. Like everybody is lovable. Everybody is doing the best they can. And frankly, the only way you can release the weight is is in the self-acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's when you can access your wisdom and start to break free of some of the things that are holding you back. But I think it's like, you know, I, I think that everybody has the right to live in a healthy body if that's something they want. Like, I don't take, I don't have opinions on it. Like, if that's worth, like, I was to people like get angry about it. I'm like, then don't, then don't do it. Like, if you're happy mm-hmm. and you're healthy at any size movement, like, that's wonderful. But there's a subset of that movement that there's a great New York Times article on it. I was quoted in it where it's like that they are ostracized if they want to be moving towards a healthier body weight. And that's, I think, what I take issue with. I mean, one size doesn't fit all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have the a lot of the health issues coming along with being overweight that kind of made you realize that you needed to get the surgery? Um, I was, I, I couldn't get into my shower. Uh. I, my, my underwear stopped fitting. Uh, I, I, this is many years ago. This is before, I mean, this before there's Amazon. This is like, there was like Lane Bryant. Like there was like one, it, it was so, such a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I couldn't 
take care of myself. I couldn't move my stomach up to wash underneath. Like I was, and I really, you know, the physical, yes. I mean, my feet hurt and my joints hurt and my lower back hurt. You know, my, my bloods were, I think still pretty okay. I didn't, I was like a not yet. I don't Mm -hmm. know how that's true, but, um, I have to say that um, I was so depressed I, 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 and I had migraine headaches. I was like hospitalized for migraines. Every, when I gave up sugar, it's like, I, I just don't have any problems like that anymore. It's amazing. I mean, my depression and the migraines and stuff like that lifted so in, insanely as a function of the breakup. Wow. I interviewed a woman who has lost over a hundred pounds um, and her. she was saying, I know she was saying she used to be a part of the body positivity, healthy at every size movement, but same thing. She felt really ostracized when she wanted to lose weight. And now she's coined this term health positive. I love that. I think it's really yeah. beautiful. You know, I don't drink alcohol either. And anytime that I'm with somebody who has a problem with my drinking, it's their problem with my drinking, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and same thing with sugar. I mean, uh, it's like, and I, and I really wholeheartedly believe, like, if it's really working for you, that's great. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of yeah. people who are suffering overtly, and they deserve, and everybody deserves to be happy, joyous, and free. Like, period. Well, I think that's a really good point too about it's somebody else's problem. I think whenever you kind of adopt a new, I don't know, habit or healthy choice, you kind of become a mirror for other people. And they see what you're doing and then maybe start to feel insecurities of their own, knowing deep down, like, maybe I shouldn't be eating as much sugar. Maybe I should be trying X. Right. And so you, I found that with myself is that I would make other people uncomfortable. For example, if I took my lunch every day and I wasn't eating soft pretzels from the school, I used to be a teacher. So from the school cafeteria, and it's like, what? problem. I'm still sitting here and socializing. I just want to enjoy everybody's company. But I got so many comments of, oh, you have to have the carrot sticks and you have to have this and that. You can't just eat what we're eating. So yeah, I could see that definitely happening for anybody with sugar, alcohol, same thing, or really any healthy choices. Part of the sort of bind that, you know, like that addiction has, it's like, it tells you that you can, I mean, when I, the book is called Breaking Up with Sugar, you know, not just stop eating sugar because it's like there's such an emotional tie to it. And I mm-hmm. think that part of the cognitive dissonance in all of it and the distortions is I can't live without this. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, you know, and I, and I, I mean, not to make it about, but I remember when I stopped drinking and I didn't think I could live without that either, which my life is infinitely better. And I, I said to a friend, you know, like when I was making this decision, I said, well, what if I, um, you know, what if I go to Italy? What will I do? Mm-hmm. What if I want to drink red wine in Italy? And she said, Oh my God, you have a trip. That's so exciting. And I said, no, <laughs> but like, what if I, you know, so it's like, but it, like that really held me hostage for like a year, you know? Yeah. And, I, and it's like the same thing. It's like, people are like, how do you not eat birthday cake? And I'm like, it doesn't even occur to me. My life is so good for my 40th birthday. My friends had a watermelon molded into a birthday cake because everybody's so happy that I'm so happy and healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. They come along after a while, I'll tell you that. And, you know, the week fall off for sure mm-hmm. in relationships I've seen. That Yeah, that's a good point. What So let's get into more of the meat of the book, Breaking Up With Sugar. So what is the thesis, if you will, or just, you know, your recommendations for people if they're hearing this and they're thinking... Maybe I should try that. Some first steps. Well, 
I, I really, I think what we're saying about like biodiversity is so important. And so I think that the most important thing that somebody can do, and by the way, I believe this in solving any problem <laughs> is yeah. you're really understanding the true nature of it because you have to really have a solid prob- knowledge of the problem to have an adequate solution. And I think that's really where a lot of like these, a lot of people who are touting like to me, like a, th- a three-day sugar cleanse or a 10-day sugar cleanse is exacerbating a condition, right? Because if it's a progressive illness, you go off 10 days, it comes back stronger and people are confused why that's not working, right? Mm-hmm. So to understand the true nature of this, I think is the most important piece. And I, so it's a whole, there's a whole chapter devoted to it. And, and I use this analogy in the book where it's like, because I don't want somebody taking an Advil if they need an antibiotic. And I think that's what happens so much in diet culture is you have this pretty full-blown thing that looks like an addiction, you know, and you're like chewing gum for it, right? So you want to make sure that the solution to your problem is actually going to solve the problem. On both ends of the spectrum, if you just are like a light addict, you know, maybe you don't need all of the things, but usually that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So then what are the first steps you recommend somebody take? Is it just cut out sugar? So I'm of this belief. So I'm. Uh, this is sort of where I think I, I go off the trail. So I mean, uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm of all beliefs because I think one size doesn't fit all, right? So I, I think if mm-hmm. you're like, Molly, there is just no possible way I can full stop sugar, but I can stop eating cookies, cake, and candy, I'd be like, then do that, right? But mm-hmm. if I really got to be in charge of your decision making, I would say full stop because that's where the freedom begins. Like I, I'm a more is more gal, you know, I'm like, how much can I get? How good can it be? I want all the things. Right. And Mm -hmm. truly the way to get there the fastest is just to rip it off, right? Rip it off, go through the detox, learn how to relive your life. Now that takes some planning, Mm -hmm. right? That takes some creation of utilizing some skills that aren't going to food all the time, right? That takes some creating a power circle. I think it's really important if you're going to be breaking up a sugar that there's another human being in this world that you love and trust who knows that you're doing it, mm-hmm. you know? And it takes like taking it out of your house. I always say, you know, people are like, oh, Molly, I have kids. And it's like, well, you know ring dings aren't good for anybody but if that's the case you know having food like there's a lot of food I don't like you know like I couldn't care about key lime pie I couldn't care about goldfish there's a lot I don't care there's some but if you have you know Tate's chocolate chip cookies and baguettes in my house right now I'd be like Brooke I got I'll be right back you know (laughs) no I'm just kidding not this long but you know it's like it, it is possible to have the foods that really speak to you not in your house that's absolutely possible Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And then you mentioned sugar and flour. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah. You know, I one of the one of the publishers that liked the book said, Can't you just take the flour out? And uh, <laughs> and I said, I, I believe you me, I wish I could. <laughs> um yeah, so the, the problem is is that it's it's flat flour is really the evil twin of sugar. And it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like mm-hmm the amount of angel hair pasta that I could hover down my into my belly 
I mean, it is equivalent to how much cake I could put in, which also has flour. And it's an interesting thing because it makes a lot of sense to me. It's, it's actually the, the grinding process of how they make flour. And I'm talking about grain flour here, mm-hmm. of how they make flour has the same impact on the nervous system, your dopamine, and also on your endocrine system, which you know is the most interesting and important part of any unhealthy relationship with sugar is the impact on the endocrine system and, and your hormones and your insulin and your all of that. And so it is sugar and flour. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the grind I and mean, think about I mean there's a, a wonderful researcher who talks about like if I was sitting here and I was chewing on a cacao plant, you know, I might feel, oh, it's like I had a cup of coffee, right? But if you grind that up and I put it up my nose or I put it on my tongue, that's cocaine. I'm going to have a very different reaction to that. Yeah. And so when we're grinding up the wheat, when we're grinding it into flour, our endocrine system and our nervous system reacts the same way as sugar. Truth be told, yeah, people often have a way harder time giving up flour than sugar. Mm-hmm. I could see that it's because it's just more, it's everywhere. Right. Whereas I don't know. I think actually it's more like what we're saying. Like, I think everybody really uh, understands that sugar is not good for them. I think when you walk into baguette territory and you walk into pizza territory, people are like, stop it. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, I want, this is what I said to the publisher, right? I'm into full freedom. Like I can't write a book that says break up with sugar. And then you're, you know, downing, you know, sand, you're downing sandwiches, you know, and pasta and wondering why you don't feel well. I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. a deliverer of bad news. I like to do a little cute, try to do it any way I can to get you to listen, but I can't not tell the truth. That's just how I'm made. So then do you use alternative flowers? You know, I'm really about this 66 day thing. So, okay. you know, I was writing the book. I was like, okay, what's the first day that your brain can have automacy. Like what's the first day that your brain can be intuitive about this? And the research, I I scoured it, you know, and then the research I found said at 66 days is about the first day that your brain has some different kind of neuroplasticity and automacy and this feels more automatic. And so what I would say is in the first 66 days, I would just like not do any flower because it just, complicates it and our lives Mm -hmm. you know I'm like I'm like Mary J you know no more drama Mm -hmm. and then I think after 66 days I believe wholeheartedly in biodiversity like I don't know I can have chickpea pasta sometimes I have to be really careful about it some people are like absolutely not no way right Mm -hmm. almond flour I can put a little in a meatball every now and then I you know my family's very into this like making like almond flour brownies i mean that's just a brownie to me so no you know it's just and the other thing right. is, while we're up you know the worst of all of them of all of them brooke the worst the devil's greatest coup is the artificial sweeteners mm. period period and i'm talking stevia and i'm talking monk i'm talking them all and why because stevia even stevia is like 200 times sweeter than sugar. And so two things happen. Number one, you're not giving your taste buds a chance to come back to normal. Nothing, you know. And number two, it triggers this hunger response in you. Your body's like, excuse me, where is my food? That is a big sweet you just gave me. Hmm. And so you're walking around hungry all the time. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. 
One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. What about starchy vegetables? Oh, I don't get involved in that. Okay. You mean as in you don't eat them or you oh, don't Oh, no, they're care? great. Enjoy. Oh, okay. They come from the earth. Well, even Yum. I was thinking sweet potatoes can be very yes, sweet. Or even sweet potatoes. Fruit. What about sweeter fruit? Like yeah, mango? Yeah, like the mango and banana of it all. Yeah. I mean, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Right. right. But don't dry it because that then that's just, you, you, I mean, I would put my head in a bag of dried mangoes. You know, yeah. it really it takes all the fiber out of it. But yeah, it depends. I mean, it's really, I think it's about your sensitivity. And like the thing about me, like I'm not talking about a diet, Brooke. Like I'm talking about a relationship. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. I've tried different vendors at my business. And I'm like, oh, that didn't work. Okay, let me try a different one. Like your relationship with mangoes is your relationship with mangoes. Some people can do it no problem. And some people are like, yeah, that's too triggering for me. Mm-hmm. We just stop thinking like that because we're all such in a diet mentality. Like I don't, a lot of times my answer is like, I don't know. Why don't you see Mm -hmm. and you decide? (laughs) Well, and I like on your website, you just say literally your number one goal. It's so clear is just freedom for everybody. So that means something different. Like you've said to each person, but then just being really honest with yourself about those relationships. I think that's right. What about on your website, you also say you have an anti-perfection plan. So what do you mean by that? You know, what the diet drama has done is it makes us, you know, only have one one, uh, speed that we function at, right? We're good, Mm -hmm. we're bad, we're on, we're off. And the problem about food is like you have to eat it. And it is unlikely that if you are going to have a lifetime of a healthy relationship with food, that you're going to do it adherence to any food plan, right? Like just life gets lifey, you know? Yeah. You're at the, you know, you you don't feel like you want to measure the sweet potato and you eat too much of it, or, you know, you're somewhere and they don't have literally, I've been at party, I've been at my friend's bachelorette party or her wedding, her baby shower was like, literally there was nothing at the whole thing without any sugar and flour. I just had to do the best I could. You know, or just sometimes you eat a cookie because you're not awake or you're too emotional, right? But the problem is, is that when those those things happen, diet mentality has never given us an alternative to being perfect. And so what ends up happening is that we, that's like the road to the efforts, right? So it's like, oh, I had a cookie. And then, you know, if you're anything like me, it's like, well, game on. Mm-hmm. Guess we're not fettuccine Alfredo for lunch, and then I'm going to go to Froyo, and then I'm going to go to the drugstore, and I buy all the thing, you know. And it's just, and it's on, and it's on, and it's on. And the, the um, you know, the analogy I use, it's like you get a flat tire on your car, and instead of calling AAA or putting the new tire on yourself, it's like you get out of the car and you slice all four tires, and you torch the car and you leave it on the highway, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, And it's so crazy how we behave, Brooke, because I have a lot of really great relationships in my life, 
work, you know, everything, you know, and none of, none of them do I behave that way. Like I'm usually just like, huh, let me get curious. Let me figure out what happened here. So I don't do it again. Mm-hmm. Never is that something we do with food. The way we behave with food is so bonkers. And so a lot, I mean, mo- mostly everything we do at Beacon Program is so about this. And in my Facebook group, I don't know if you're in a, like the thing I'm most proud of, gotta be in it, it's so fun. Um, the thing I'm actually most proud of in all of this is that, there, that the, the thousands of people I've treated and continue to treat and that are in my communities, like this is the thing that we know for sure, which is everything's reparable. I'm going to evaluate what happened if I slip. I'm going to make a corrective action plan. I'm going to get right. That's how you live in a relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it is diet, drama, and trauma for the rest of your life. And we deserve better. It's so insane. Yeah. I love how you said get curious because I think that was the real game changer for me is just taking the emotions like you're saying out of food. If I eat a cookie, that doesn't make me bad. If I eat a carrot, that doesn't make me good. And just really getting in tune with how things were making my body feel. And yeah. And I think that languaging is so moral and judgmental that, yeah, you know what I mean? It's not right. It's just like, it's just, it's so unloving. Like you, you know, this relationship with self is so important, personal integrity, all of it. Mm-hmm. It's more just kind of take this out of body, more scientific, not that it needs to be scientific, but you know, just a not emotionally charged look at things and just think, huh, that happened. Interesting. Gather some data and move on. It doesn't have to be, like you said, like go off the rails. I'm a horrible person. Right. That's exactly right. Well, I could talk to you all day, (laughs) but I I know you have. (laughs) Now I just want to move back to New York and be friends. Well, yes. We can be friends remotely. It's It's a whole new world, Brooke. That is true. That is true. I think we are friends remotely. So we'll just continue with that. (laughs) But the final question I ask each of my guests is, what do you think it means to make the health investment? I I mean, I think it is making a health investment is the absolute most important thing that you can do for yourself. Um, I really am such a wholehearted believer in creating core values for yourself and learning how to operate an entire life from them. And Mm -hmm. so making a health investment to me is getting really clear and aligned with what these values are and then like the bravery it takes to look in the shadows of your behavior, of your emotions, of your soul, and really see like what isn't working. And then taking that bravest step of of leaping off and learning how to not be so attached, you know, like my relationship with sugar and flour. It's like I was positive that my life was over as I knew it. And that was a complete farce. Like nothing could be less true. It's I will tell you my life began when I did it. I mean, mm. really the 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 quality and the bravery and the abundance and the love and the success, like it actually started there. And so to me, like making a health investment is being brave, 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 brave to look and go where angels will not tread in your life and make these brave changes that, you know, I think in everybody's most wise parts of them, they know. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody's listening to your podcast. You know what I mean? Like everybody, if you're listening, like you're here for a reason. Promise you that. You know. And so then it's like take a breath and be brave and just listen. And and maybe there's a solution for you here too. Yeah. I am always just everybody who answers that I ask every guest and then I just want to write everything down and use it myself. <laughs> I feel like everybody says puts my brand into this beautiful package better than I can. So yeah, I love it. Away. That's why we always need a power circle, you know, that's what's so, exactly. so important about exactly. that too. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned your book, which I'm assuming is available everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. Okay. And you know, if you're into my voice, I do the audible, which people are oh, very cool. into. Yep. Very into. Yeah, I know. You should have a podcast. <laughs> Seems like a lot of work. I just like it being a, a guest, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I just more like, I'm more like the talent. Like, like show up, have a convo <laughs> with a friend, and then, you know, go back to work. <laughs> but really, you do have a, you do have that awesome podcasting voice, but we'll, we'll go for it on the audiobook. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, yeah. So the audiobook's really fun. Yeah. You buy it anywhere. You can buy a book. It's really, I got really lucky with this, with this particular venture. Awesome. And then you also mentioned a Facebook group. So where would people find you there? Yeah. I mean, so the thing I would do is when we're talking anti-perfection plan on my website, mollycarmel.com, you can sign up for the anti-perfection plan, which is totally free. And you can learn more about this thing that I'm talking about. And then you get my love letter, which I read on Sundays. And in that love letter, there's instructions to the Facebook group, which is like, almost 800 strong. It's like so many people participate in it. It's amazing. I mean, I'm sure you can, I don't, I'm a little analog, but I'm sure you can go on Facebook and write breaking up the sugar and find the group also. But there's just so much free. I'm just like all about like giving it away whenever I can. And I do a lot of free stuff. Um, so I just want everybody to like come on board. The more the merrier, you know? Well, and then on Instagram as well, I love your posts. You have that little text. You have sugar text oh, yeah. you. You know, I love that one. It's I also really do a lot of a lot of Instagram lives and a lot of Facebook lives. So I do at least once a week. I do an Instagram live and a Facebook live, if not multiple times a week. So I just I love being with my community. It's, I'm I'm one of them. You know, it's like there might be it's right. like it's, it heals me. Like I'm so lucky. I got so mm-hmm. lucky in this gig of mine. So what is your Instagram handle for people? My Instagram handle is mo- at Molly Carmel. Easy peasy lemon okay. squeezy. Awesome. And I'll also put links to all of these things in the show notes. But um, yeah, I'm not super active on Facebook because I don't really know how to use it. I mean, <laughs> I know. If, if my community wasn't there, I mean, me, I just had to learn. I hardly, I'm just learning all of it. I was like not already on social before I wrote this book. And now it's like quick study. Let's go. Thank God I have a lot of like millennials in my life who really like teach me how to do things. Yeah, now that you were mentioning, take that brave step. I'm thinking maybe Facebook is. <laughs> oh my god, Facebook would be so. And this Facebook group is like, I mean, I just can't get. And I a lot of times I'll be having. This morning it happened. I was having. I was outside having a cup of coffee, and I was like, I think I'm gonna talk to my Facebook group. And I just go on have my cup of coffee, my hooded, my hooded robe, and I just like talk a little bit. It's great. I mean, it's just. Oh, cool. I was not a believer in social media till I, till this book was published, and I really see the power of it. It's pretty incredible. It is. And it's, it's also a it, beast. You know? It is. But it's also, I mean, it's this crazy beast out there. You know, there's so many platforms. And like you said, then there's podcasts and YouTube videos. I mean, there's so, so much we yeah. can always be doing. But Yeah, I also have a YouTube channel. That's the thing I'm most oh, you- into. If you really want a lot oh. of me, we have a we have a big, bold YouTube channel. And we put, well, I post on it all the time. I think, I always think about my sickest self, you know, and in the middle of the night, 
if I was really struggling, I'd want to be on my YouTube channel. Like I try to get so much content on there. So like tons, it's like Molly Carmel YouTube channel. It's we're, re- we're really religious about getting up, getting a lot of stuff up on there. Well, I was kind of joking that you literally can't do it all, but I feel like you are on every platform. Well, you know, it's like you're only as good as the people who work for you. And I just have these like Mm. amazing, I mean, I, I, I I pray to the people who work for me and they're really all aligned with our vision and it's beautiful. So I'm, I'm very lucky too. Well, that's amazing. I can't wait to grab your book and join your Facebook community. Oh my God. Me too. Yeah, I'm going to join it right now. I'm going to go into that Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, Brooke, welcome. But I really just so appreciate you being here and sharing an hour of your time with me. And yeah, I know everybody is just going to be so in awe of everything you said. And I love your unique take on everything. Well, thank you, my love. And, uh, you know, have me back again. So fun. Oh, I would love to. All right. Well, have a great day out there on the East Coast. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.